0: So today we are hanging out in the book of Acts. We've got this week and next week in Acts. And today we're going to just cover uh, a little bit from the very beginning of Acts. So we're going to read together now uh, a few verses from chapter 1, verses 1 to 14. And then just a few verses from chapter 2, verses 1 to 12. So grab your Bibles and uh, flip them open to Acts chapter 1. And let's read verses 1 to 14 together. And then we're going to flick over to chapter 2. Here we go. Then the apostles returned to Jerusalem from the hill called the Mount of Olives, a Sabbath day's walk from the city. When they arrived, they went upstairs to the room where they were staying. Those present were Peter, John, James, and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James, son of Alphaeus, and Simon the Zealot, and Judas, son of James, son of They all join together constantly in prayer, along with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brothers. Turn with me to Acts chapter 2. We're just skipping out this little bit here where Peter stands up and speaks to the disciples and they elect a new disciple, Matthias, to take the place of Judas, who has died, and Peter explains that. And then we're going to get back to the narrative. So chapter 2, verse 1. Parthians, Medes, Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, and uh, Asia—I can't say that word—Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt, and the parts of Libya near Cyrene. Visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs. We hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. Amazed and perplexed, they asked one another, what does this mean? What does this mean? Let's pray. Father God, wow, what an incredible story that we have just read. One that maybe we know really well. uh, One that we think about often once a year at Pentecost when the Spirit was poured out. God, we want to dwell on these scriptures today. As we have arrived at this point in our Bible reading, Lord, we just want to hang here and we just want to take some time to read through this passage and we want to be open as they were open to you. We want to be open today. So we pray, Lord, come and speak to us. Bring your word alive to us. We long to be empowered as your church, like these guys were. We know some of the amazing stories that come up next in the rest of this book. We want to see that again. We want to see that again. So Lord, teach us, inspire us, meet with us and fill us with your spirit, we pray. Amen. Great. So, uh, you will uh, already know, um, we talked last week, uh, how Luke is the author of Luke, the Gospel of Luke, and the book of Acts. And we get this in the opening line, don't we? Uh, In my former book, Theophilus, so he's writing to this one guy, uh, Theophilus, and here he is again, continuing the story, and he's saying, in my former book, I I wrote to you, and he says this, I wrote to you about uh, all the things that Jesus began to do and preach, that he began to do and preach. I love this because what this means, the implication of this is that Jesus is still working. Jesus is still doing amazing things. Yes, he died. Then he rose again and then he ascended into heaven. And I'm writing to you now to tell you about all the amazing things that he is still doing. He is still doing. He's still teaching. He's still doing incredible things. We often think Of the book of Acts. And I know in some Bibles, I've got an older one, it's called the Acts of the Apostles. But in some of the newer ones, they don't write it as the Acts of the Apostles, it's just called Acts. And and I love that because I think when I look at this, what I realize is that this isn't a book about the Apostles. No. Luke isn't writing about the Apostles, he's writing about Jesus. He's writing about Jesus. This is the book of the Acts of Jesus. After he died, he still carried on doing amazing things. It's the book of the Acts of Jesus. So the big question then is this, how is Jesus still working? And what is he up to? What is he up to? Well, we can find out some of the answers to that stuff, and we're going to find out some of the answers to that stuff today as we look at this passage. But if you jump with me to verse three, you will read there it says this um, After his suffering, he presented themselves and gave them many convincing proofs that he was alive. How's he doing it? He's alive. He's alive. He's alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days. I love this. I'm not going to hang on it because I don't want to get caught up in this. But 40, it is a significant number in the Hebrew scriptures. Um, 40 years in the wilderness, 40 days that Jesus was in the wilderness. This is this number uh, which tells us about God doing stuff, that God forming stuff, God leading and teaching and revealing himself through those periods. So there's something going on here that Jesus is doing over this period of 40 days. And over that period, He spoke to them about the kingdom of God. About the kingdom of God. What is Jesus up to? He is bringing his kingdom that's what this is about you go back and read through the gospel and you will notice that one of the things that Jesus spoke about if not the thing that Jesus spoke about more than anything else is the kingdom of God the kingdom of God he kept saying it the kingdom of God is at hand it is here it is near it's already happening the kingdom of God was the thing that Jesus came proclaiming And Acts, Luke's telling us through Acts, the Acts of Jesus haven't changed. Like we've said many, many times, the God of the Bible hasn't changed from Genesis right through to Revelation, right through to today. He's doing the same thing. And this Jesus is still doing that same thing. He is bringing his kingdom. He's still talking about his kingdom, the kingdom of God. That's what he is up to. That's what this is all about. So then... How do we see the kingdom of God come? And that's something I want to talk about today. How do we see the kingdom of God come? Jesus said it's at hand. Jesus spent time with his disciples talking about the kingdom of God. And there's a lot of conversation about the kingdom of God, what it is, what it looks like, how it works, what that means. And today I just want to talk a little bit about what I think we see at Jesus teaching and showing his disciples in this book here, in the book of Acts, about the kingdom of God. So I think the first thing to say is this, that the kingdom of God is, um, or Acts, is about the the advancing of the kingdom of God. And and that is happening through the birth of the church, through the birth of the church. As you read through Acts, you'll notice there's quite a few mirrors with Luke's gospel going on, okay? Uh, So um, do you remember when we went through Luke's gospel last week? God was about to birth something new. He was doing it through John the Baptist. And and the first thing we discover is that when Elizabeth became pregnant, what happened? She went into seclusion for a period of time, a time of waiting. Well, here, what do we see Jesus telling his disciples to do? Something new is going to be birthed. God's announced it. Jesus has announced it. Something's going to happen. Wait. Wait in Jerusalem. Wait in this secluded place. Wait for what I'm about to do. In Luke... Uh, John is birthed. John is born. And in the book of Acts, the church is born. And we know, or you'll know, I mentioned last week that Connie said to me on a number of occasions that the church has a John the Baptist ministry. We're supposed to be the modern day John the Baptist. We go before Jesus, preparing the ground for him, pointing to him. That's what we're called to do, pointing to him. And that's what happens in the rest of this book. These apostles, these disciples, the church goes out and it just points at Jesus again and again and again. And it makes straight the paths for him to come in to people's lives. So time of waiting, the birth of something. And the other thing that I think is significant that we see in both Luke's gospel in chapter one and here in Acts is the indwelling of the Holy Spirit before both are born. Before both have power to do anything, the power they have is not their own. It's not their own. Not their own gifting, not their own strength, not their own wisdom, not their own power, not their own money, none of that. Not ours either, but his. Only by the Spirit does the kingdom of God come. And so, uh, the Spirit of God indwells in John before he is born. And here we see them waiting for the Spirit to come before the church is born, before the church is born. So Jesus says, doesn't he, um, wait here, wait um, for the gift that my father has promised, that you've heard me speak about. And he says, for John baptised with water, but in a few days you will be baptised with the Holy Spirit. I want to take a moment just to talk about baptism. What does it mean to be baptised in the Holy Spirit? Well, baptism itself as a word is a Greek word that we haven't really translated from the Greek into the English. We've just taken the Greek word and dropped the O off the end, baptismo, and literally stuck it in the English Bible. So we haven't actually translated the meaning like we have with all the other words. Um, The word kingdom in our Bible here is the English word. We know what that means. It's not the Greek word. But baptism, we've just dragged the word across. Um, So what does it actually mean? Baptism. Uh, It it, it means to be immersed, to be immersed. That's what we do when we baptise. We immerse someone in water. That's part of our tradition here as Baptists. Um, It means to be immersed. It means to be overwhelmed, like literally covered, surrounded. And it also means to be cleansed. This idea of washing by being cleansed and immersed. Um. I, I'm just going to pause really briefly and I want to say this to some of you. Um, if you are a follower of Jesus and you are not yet baptised, then now is the time. Now is the time. Drop me an email, matt at counterslip.org. Uh, give me a phone call 77 Whatever way you want. Okay, um, Get in touch and talk with me. Baptism is so key. It's a command of Jesus. He says to them here, don't do anything until you've been baptised in the Holy Spirit. Wait and then do it. And some of you have been following Jesus. You've been believing in Jesus. But I want to say, go all in. Go all in and and get baptised. Obey the command of Jesus. How do we see the kingdom of God unlocked in our lives? It starts with obeying him. We're going to talk about that in a moment. But there's some other reasons as well that I think baptism is so key, so important, and such an incredible thing. Um, Baptism actually is an Old Testament concept, okay? It wasn't invented with the church. It wasn't invented with Christianity. The Baptists didn't come up with it. It was already a thing, which is why John was doing it. it. It wasn't a weird thing for John to be doing. They understood it because it was part of the Jewish custom. So sometimes, if um, you were a Gentile and you wanted to become a Jew or come into the Jewish faith, one of the things that you would go through is the ceremony of baptism. That's how it would work. Baptism was symbolic of moving through the waters, through the Red Sea, coming from captivities of freedom, from death to life, from living under all these other gods in Egypt to living under the one true God, Yahweh, from moving out of the world and in to his presence, coming through the Red Sea. It was one of the modes of entry into the Jewish faith. It already existed for a long time. Not only that, uh, baptism uh, was something that the priests did on a regular basis. So before they would go into the temple, they would be baptised. They would be ritually washed or cleansed. Okay. Um, not only did the priests get ritually washed or cleansed, but also some of the articles that they used in the temple. So things like um, the laver and various pots and plates and all those kind of things that were used in the service, in the temple to God, would have been baptised, would have been ritually washed or cleansed. And so baptism isn't just about this symbolism of moving from here to here. Uh, it's, it's also more than that. Baptism it, it is about being set apart for a purpose. It, it's about being set apart, being made holy. No longer um, are the things that are baptised to be used for the common use. Now they are used in the holy things, okay, and I love this, the priests, they would do it, they would be richly cleansed, baptized before they went into the temple, because now they were set apart for a purpose, they were set apart to serve as priests to the most high and holy God, to be in his presence so that they could reveal him to the rest of the world, that's what that was all about, If you have not been baptised yet, it doesn't matter how old or young you are. I'm not going to make you get up on this stage and give your whole life testimony if you're not comfortable with that. That's something we love to do, to celebrate your story with Jesus. That's not the point of it, though. The point is the act of going through it, because Jesus commanded us to do it. You might have been living your life believing in him, but this is about going all the way and saying, I'm all in Jesus. I want to be set apart. I want to be set apart no longer for the common use, but for your use, to live with your name over me and to live my life Holy, devoted to you. And that's what baptism was all about, so that they could come, the priests could come into the temple, into the presence of God, and fulfill their duties there um, as the priesthood. So, wow, well, all of that to say that baptism in the Holy Spirit, uh, what is that? Well, it is more than a feeling. I think sometimes we have this idea that Receiving the Holy Spirit, being overwhelmed with the Spirit, baptized in the Spirit is something that happens when we hit the pad in worship and the electric guitar starts playing and we get the tingly feeling and, oh, yes, I sense the Spirit. That can happen, okay? Like, yes, we can sense the Spirit, sometimes sometimes. The music moves us and the spirit moves upon us. There's a great story in the Old Testament about one of the prophets who asks for music to be played and then the spirit moves upon him. And and that happens sometimes in our musical worship. We feel the spirit. But baptism in the spirit is more than a feeling. Baptism in the spirit waiting for the Spirit to come on you is saying I'm putting my trust in you Jesus It's saying that I'm trusting that you know best I'm trusting that you know what is right for me and I'm going to obey you and I'm going to wait for your Spirit to come on me and then I'm going to be overwhelmed by your Spirit I'm going to be washed and cleansed and set apart to be your church set apart for the holy use, wholly devoted to you and your name alone. That is what it's about, about being set apart to, um, to be this royal priesthood. That's what they were set apart from the Old Testament, to be a royal priesthood. Um, yeah, love that. It's a, it's a kingdom thing. Being baptized in the spirit is a kingdom thing. It sets us apart to be a kingdom of priests is how the Old Testament puts it and the New Testament actually to be a kingdom of priests. We want to be baptized in the spirit that we might live for holy and serve fully devoted our God and our king and see his kingdom come. So let's talk a bit about kingdom. Um, Because um, obviously what I'm saying here is that the baptism of the Spirit is about setting us apart to serve Jesus as part of his kingdom. So what do we mean by kingdom? What is Jesus talking about? Well, he says, doesn't he? Hey... you know, the kingdom's coming, he's talking about the kingdom of God, and he says, wait for this promised gift of my father, and then this is going to happen, and then they jump straight back in, in um, verse 6, and it says, they gathered around him, and they're like, Lord, Lord, at this time, are you going to restore the kingdom to Israel? Are you going to restore the kingdom to us? That's what they're asking, that's what they're asking Um, And and it's a little bit like, isn't it, cast your mind back to Luke's gospel, the opening of Luke's gospel. This angel shows up to Zechariah and says, God is going to do this amazing thing. And then Zechariah does what? He makes it all about him, all about him. And it's like you've missed the point. This isn't about you, Zechariah. This is about what God is going to do through you if you'll let him, but what God is going to do. And it's the same here. These disciples, these apostles, they're like, God, Jesus is talking about the kingdom. And then they're saying, is now the time that you're going to restore the kingdom to, to Israel, to our people? But they've missed the point because this isn't about them. And we can miss the point as well, because... We, um, I think over the last decade or so, the language of church has been dropped a little bit and the language of kingdom has been picked up and and been inherited. And we're running with that language now because kingdom feels more inclusive and it's bigger and it's more powerful and great. But we somehow make it about us again. We still make kingdom about what we are doing or about what we want to see. But actually, this is the kingdom of who? The kingdom of God not the kingdom of Zechariah, not the kingdom of the apostles, not the kingdom of counterslip, not the kingdom of the church, but the kingdom of God. You see, actually what I love about this is that um, God wasn't restoring the kingdom to them. No, he was about to restore them to his kingdom. He was about to pour out his spirit on them and bring them back into his kingdom. And that is what we need. You see, Jesus replies, doesn't he? And he says, hey, it's not for you to know the times or dates. It's not for you to know the when or the how or the what. It's just for you to wait and to trust. And then the spirit will come on you. And then power, kingdom power, the king's dominion, the king's power, the king's reign will come upon you. Then the kingdom will come. Then the kingdom will come. I... um, yeah, I just I think this is so applicable for us now because these guys that they would they were like we want to bring the kingdom like they were so excited about that and we can be excited about that in the modern church we want to bring the kingdom we want to bring the kingdom but do you know what Jesus says? You're not gonna bring the kingdom, the kingdom's coming on you. Wait. For the Holy Spirit to come, then you will be empowered to what? Not to bring the kingdom, but to be my witnesses. You'll be empowered to go in front of me and to make straight the paths and to point to me and say, he is coming. He wants to come into your life. You're going to point to the king, and the king will bring his king's domain in people's hearts and lives and in this world. So I want to ask then, um, what are we talking about when we talk about kingdom? Because I think... In, in the modern world, in the modern church, there's a lot of stuff that says, oh, I like that. Yeah, the kingdom's coming over there. Look at what that church is doing or, uh, you know, that organization or that good work or that good deed or that kind of thing that this Christian charity is doing this. And wow, it's kingdom work. And we see the kingdom coming here and here and here. I just want to ask, actually, um, is that biblical? I, I don't think so. I think where the kingdom comes, we do see some of that stuff springing up. But that is not the kingdom. And I think we diminish what the kingdom is when we start talking about those good deeds, those works, those loving and gracious acts as the kingdom. Okay, um, let's, let's look at a few verses about kingdom then. Okay, So Matthew 6 verse 33, Jesus says this. He says, seek first the kingdom of God and all these things will be added unto you. We're called to seek the kingdom, not bring the kingdom. You see, the king brings the kingdom and we're called to seek him. When Jesus teaches us to pray, he teaches us to pray this, your kingdom come, your will be done, Father, on earth as it is in heaven. He doesn't teach us to pray, Lord, empower me to bring your kingdom or Lord, help me to bring your kingdom. He doesn't teach us to pray that. He teaches us to pray to the Father to ask his kingdom to come on the earth as it is in heaven. Um, turn with me to John chapter 18, verse 36, where it says this. Uh, Jesus is replying about the kingdom and he says, My kingdom is not of this world. If it were, my servants would fight to prevent my arrest But uh, by the Jewish leaders, leaders. But now my kingdom is from another place. So what's Jesus saying there? My kingdom's not of this world. It's not something you need to fight for in this world. No. It's something we fight for in the heavenly realms. It's something we pray for. It's something we battle for in the spirit. It's not something we fight for. It's not something we have to do physically here to make it happen. We need just to pray for his kingdom to come. Um, Romans, turn with me to Romans 14 verse 17. It says this. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness, peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. The kingdom of God is not about actions. It's not about what you do. The kingdom of God is about a state of being, about righteousness, right relationship with God, um, about peace, deep peace, deep shalom, because the spirit of God has come to dwell within us and the king reigns in our hearts and in our minds and in our lives. And so we can live at peace and about joy because the joy of the spirit has come to reign and live within us. One more then, one more. Let's look at Luke 17 uh, verse 20. Uh, It says this, on uh, sorry, once on being asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come, Jesus replied, "The kingdom, that, sorry, the coming of the kingdom of God is not something that can be observed, nor will people say here it is or there it is, because the kingdom of God is in your midst." Do you know? So often today I hear people talking about the kingdom and they're pointing out things that, oh look at that, that looks like the kingdom, the kingdom looks like that, the kingdom, and yet Jesus himself says here, you cannot observe the kingdom of God. It's not something that people say there it is or here it is or this is what it looks like because the kingdom of God is in your midst. It is among you. It is dwelling within you. The kingdom is something that dwells within you. When your life comes under the obedience of Jesus and his spirit is poured out and the king has made his home in you and you are one with him, then the kingdom has come in you. How does the kingdom come? It comes... Well, Jesus says to them, doesn't he, in verse four of chapter one, wait, wait. It comes by obedience to Jesus and by being filled with the Holy Spirit. Um, Jump with me down to chapter two. So I want to look at what happens when the moment when the Spirit comes. Okay, what is going on? What do we learn about this? So chapter two tells us this. Um, When the day of Pentecost came. I want to pause there, because I think that sometimes we think that Pentecost is a Christian festival that has existed since the Spirit was poured out. But you see, Pentecost, Pentecost was already a thing. This is the Greek word for for a Hebrew festival. Pentecost, it literally, pent is five, okay? Pentecost is the 50th day. It's five lots of ten. The 50th day after Passover, and it is the celebration of the barley harvest, now I love this because what is about to happen is about to happen and there's going to be a big harvest and thousands are going to come to know Jesus. This is why this is so cool. Um, so five lots of ten after uh, P- Passover um, and, and then this is what is going on at this point. Now we've talked about numbers, haven't we? Five. Torah, the teaching, the law, 10 uh, being the words of God, the 10 commands and the, and the 10 times that God speaks in Genesis, the life-giving word of God. So we've got some numerology going on here in Acts, right? Um, and uh, we get this, this happening at this harvest festival. Now, I just want to root this in the Jewish story because that is what is going on Pentecost is a Jewish um, celebration it's happening in the Jewish story it, what is happening here well the story of Exodus goes like this doesn't it they're in captivity uh, the Passover happens and then they are led out through the Red Sea they're saved they're led to Mount Sinai where the law is given to them and they encounter the presence of God as fire and wind and all kinds of things crazy things happen there um I love that as well in Exodus 20 they're invited into God's presence but at that point they're like no, no 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 Moses you go for us because they're scared but I love what's going on here so in the New Testament version of that story Jesus death is the Passover isn't it he's the Passover lamb he died in our place his blood was shed for us His resurrection is that move through the Red Sea from death into life, through the waters of death. We've got that coming out. And then here they're meeting with Jesus at the start of Acts. And where are they? Well, they're at the Mount of Olives. They're around a mountain and they're meeting with Jesus. And then we get this uh, Pentecost festival, this festival. Law, this five lots of ten, this, this Torah, this teaching of God through the words of God as they're meeting with Jesus and he teaches them over these 40 days. Um, and then the Spirit is poured out and it tells us, um, that there were tongues of fire, there was the sound of the blowing wind. So we get this like Old Testament God showing up here in the New Testament doing the same thing he's always been doing. Um, And all this is happening at Pentecost, the celebration of the harvest. Uh, So why am I telling you this? I think this is so exciting. What we're reading here is the new Sinai story. The new story of the birthing of God's people. You see, they became God's people at Mount Sinai. Um, but now God's like, no, I'm, I'm pouring out my spirit again. And this time you're not stepping back. This time you're coming right into my presence. This is new Sinai, new birthing of God's people and the bringing of people into God's presence. What is God doing The wind and the fire is the Old Testament God showing up like he's always been doing. He's revealing himself and establishing his kingdom. So I kind of want to bring us into land really by asking this question then. That's incredible, isn't it? God's still doing what he's always been doing. The question then is, how do we see that today? How do we see that today? I long to see this happen again and again in the church. I long for us to come alive. I long for us to encounter the spirit of God under the the authority and kingship and the lordship of Jesus in our lives, in our church, um, that we might see this world transformed. As you read on in Acts chapter 2, what you discover is they were all amazed. And then Peter gets up and explains what's going on. And thousands come to know Jesus. This incredible harvest happens Isn't that the longing of our church? Isn't that what we want to see? People coming to life, coming to know Jesus. That is my heart for us. So how? How does that happen? Well, a few things to pull out of the passage then. How do we see this happen? Firstly, you will notice uh, in Acts chapter 1, verse 14, they're all together. They're all together in this one place. And they've been obedient to Jesus and they've gathered together and they're waiting in Jerusalem. And they're all gathered together. And then it says this together, um, constantly in prayer. They all join together constantly in prayer. Now, this word for prayer isn't just the normal word for prayer. OK, so in the Greek, the normal word for prayer is just... Um, Oh, I can't even pronounce it properly, so forgive my pronunciation, but it's like a um, UK, okay? <laughs> Not like UK, yeah, UK, <laughs> something like that. That's the word for prayer. Uh, but the word here is compound word. It's two words put together, it's pros-UK, okay? Pros-UK is the word that is used here. And, and pros-UK is more than just a few people gathered in a room praying, dear Lord, please come and bless us. And we would love to see healing for this. And we would love to see an increase in that. In the name of Jesus, amen. That's not what this word is talking about. This word is so much bigger than that, okay? UK, it means more than that. It's a worship word. Let me give you an example of another pros word, um, Pros cuneo is is another worship word, and that literally means to draw near and kiss. Okay, so let's break down this pros UK. What does it mean? Well, pros literally means to draw near, okay, to lean in. And then UK... it Literally, we translate it as pray, but it quite literally means to wish. It means to have a deep desire and a burning longing for. Okay, so they didn't just say dry words. They lent in. They lent in in this act of worship. They lent in towards God together with one another with a deep desire on their hearts for all that Jesus had said would happen. That is That is what they did. That is what we want to do, church. Uh, When we gather together again from the 29th of August, there's going to be a number of things happening here um, on different days of the week and on the weekends and in your home groups. Um, And our heart's desire is to come together and to wait. But not just to wait in a boring way. To UK, to lean in with that deep, burning desire in our hearts for all that Jesus wants for his church in this place to lean into his promises, to lean into his love, to lean in to the things that he's desiring, to lean in and see his kingdom come. That is what we want to do. And what happens when they lean in? What happens? Well, we read it from uh, Acts chapter 2 from verse 4 down to verse 9. Incredible things happen. The spirit is poured out upon them and they start speaking in all these tongues and people around them are amazed as they hear the wonders of God happening. And I love it because this bit, it it mirrors and parallels a little bit of what we see in Luke chapter 1 um, verses 64 to 66. You'll remember there that Zechariah, when he was obedient to God and he actually said, yep, My son's name will be John. He wrote it on the tablet. When he aligned himself with God, when he was obedient to what God had said to him, suddenly the spirit moved on him and immediately his mouth was opened, his tongue was loosed, and he began to praise God and speak prophetically. Do you remember that? And that's what's going on here. When we align ourselves with the will of God, when we come under the things that he has said and we are obedient to him, the spirit can move on us then the Spirit can move on us then. It won't before because we're too busy doing the things that we think we ought to do. Because we're too busy kind of being king of our own lives, king of our own church in charge of what we think we ought to be doing. That's a great idea, Lord. This is how we'll do it. But no, he says, wait. And when we wait, suddenly then his Spirit's like, I can come on you now. And I can empower you and equip you to do all that I want you to do. And when that happens, our tongues are loosed and we'll be able to praise God. We'll be able to declare the wonders of God in a way that people will understand. And ultimately, the result of that is that the people around them were amazed. The same in Luke's gospel. When he spoke, all his neighbors were amazed. We see it happening again here. When the spirit moves, we will know because everyone around us will be amazed. It won't be something where we'll be asking, is the kingdom of God come? Did people come to know Jesus? I I don't know. Because we won't be trying to make it happen. We won't be second-guessing ourselves because we'll be absolutely confident of what has happened because God will have done it by his spirit. God will have done it by his spirit. That's our longing, isn't it? To see people come to know Jesus. To, be, to see people set free. To see people have that right relationship, that peace and that joy. That is the kingdom of God that we want to see in people's lives. And I think, um, let me just land them by saying this. I think that For a long time, the church, not just us, but the church across the UK and even around the world has been trying desperately uh, to make the gospel socially relevant. We've done it in all kinds of ways. Like Zechariah, we've done it with actions. Um, We've done it with deeds. We've done it with clubs. We've done it with things to help people. We've done it all kinds of ways. We've softened our language sometimes, haven't we? Maybe we don't talk about hell so much now. We don't talk about repentance so much now. Let's just talk about love, you know? And we try and soften it so that people might engage with it. And yet, what do we see? The track record again and again and again is that people are not coming to know Jesus and the church is in decline. Here's what I really believe. I believe that when we focus on God and we let his spirit empower us, we won't need to make anything socially relevant. We won't need to do anything like that because what we see here and what we saw in Luke chapter 1 with Zechariah is that when the spirit of God comes upon his people, the people around, they get it because the spirit speaks to them. Because the spirit speaks through us. Because it's all about him. It's always been all about him. It's about him and what he is doing. And so we just need to put our focus on Jesus. And we need to wait on Jesus' spirit to come upon us. Because then, then, it will make sense to the people around us. We won't have to try. We'll just speak. We'll just say it. We'll just do what the Spirit tells us to do and we'll declare the praises to the wonders of God and people will be drawn to Jesus. You know, the Bible says that when he is lifted up, he will draw all men to himself. That's all we need to do. Let the Spirit come upon us and the result of that is our praise, our praise of Jesus. And as we lift him up, he draws all men to himself. He draws all people to himself our focus should be on him not on the people around us not on the world and and hear me what I'm not saying is that we don't have compassion We, we it's not I'm not saying that we don't care or love or we don't we're not kind to the people around us we absolutely should be absolutely that's not what I'm saying so hear me clearly on that but what I am saying is that when our focus is on him he loves them more than we ever could He knows what they need more than we could ever understand. All we need to do is focus on him, wait on him, and let his spirit come on us. And then he, by his spirit, will guide us in what to do. And they will come to know him. They'll have righteousness, right relationship. They'll discover true peace, and they'll discover joy. And so will we. And so will we. You see, the gospel of Jesus is more relevant today than ever before. And it doesn't need us to water it down, to make it socially relevant. What it needs is people who are willing to be empowered by the Holy Spirit. People who are willing to be obedient to Jesus and his word. And to wait on him and to come under his lordship and to live his way. And then to go out in the power of his spirit. And he will do what he has always been doing. Revealing himself and bringing his kingdom yeah, so as we are filled with the spirit and we're led by the Holy Spirit, amazing things. I promise you, church, I can promise you this because I see it in the word of God and I can stand on that promise. As we wait on him, as we are obedient to him, as we are filled with the spirit, incredible things are gonna start to happen in this place and in this community. More incredible than we've ever seen before. Luke's gospel starts off with the spirit. And then the birth of John. And then John going out and pointing to Jesus. The message of the kingdom of Jesus. And then Jesus coming into the world. Acts starts with the spirit and then the birth of the church that has the John the Baptist ministry, and then as we're going to discover, the church going out and is declaring the message of the kingdom of Jesus, and then Jesus coming in to the world, into people's lives, and transforming them and establishing his kingdom. The book of Acts, my friends, is not the acts of the apostles, it is not the book of the acts of the church, it is the book of the acts of the Holy Spirit, the book of the acts of Jesus, the book of the acts of the world. One true living God. I want to be an Axe church. I want us to be an Axe church. I want us to live like this. It all starts with obedience to Jesus, waiting on Him, and then allowing His Spirit to empower us and send us out. I really hope that that has encouraged you, inspired you, maybe even challenged you. That's my hope. That's my heart for us. Um, I'm just going to pray for us and then we're going to worship, and I want to encourage you. Um, where you are now just wait make waiting a part of your everyday. wait on him invite his spirit in and choose to live his way every day and when we come together as church from the 29th that is what we want to do that is what we want to do because there's no point in going out from this place or doing anything unless his presence has empowered us and goes before us and sends us out let's pray jesus we thank you for your word we thank you for your word. We thank you uh, that even though you have died, you have risen and ascended on high, and from there you have poured out your spirit on your church. You are still doing what you have always been doing you are still revealing yourself you are still longing to establish your kingdom in the hearts and lives of people you are still longing to bring us into right relationship with you to bring us deep peace and to release your joy in our lives you are still transforming hearts and lives, you are still setting people free, you are still bringing goodness and um, and, and, and overflowing in love and grace towards us, that is what you have always been doing from Genesis 1 right through to now and we give you praise for that we give you praise for that and we just want to wait on you God we're nothing without you you made us in your image you made us to be in relationship with you we're nothing without you our deepest longing is for you to pour out your spirit upon counterslip again pour out your spirit upon your church again God, we lean in now. And we don't just utter words. Our deepest longing, our heart's desire is for you. It's for you. It's always been you. So pour your spirit out, God. Pour your spirit out. Holy Spirit.